When God created people, he had a dream. He wanted for us to know him and to love him. God wanted us to know each other and love each other. And when the first two people that God created doubted his love and disobeyed him, it looked like God's dream was irreparably broken. However, God never gave up on his dream. And that's why, according to the story in this book we call the Bible, Jesus comes to our world to continue pursuing God's dream. He came to make it possible for our, our relationship with God to be restored, for our relationships with each other to be restored. And this is really good news because in a world where so many things are broken, one of the most painful things that we experience are broken relationships. And there is a place where relationships get healed. That place is God's family, the church. God wants to bring us hope. He wants to bring us healing. He wants us to experience relationships that are encouraging, that bring us joy. He, he wants us to be able to support and encourage each other. And so this morning, we're continuing this journey, this 40-day spiritual journey called Time to Dream. And we're going to be talking about another door that God wants us to walk through. And that door is a door to authentic relationships. So how is it possible for God's dream to come true? This dream of loving him and loving others? And let me say this as I begin the message. I really want this uh, message today as I share principles from God's word to be not something that's theoretical. I want it to be practical. And I want it to be personal, so I want to encourage you to do this. Think about a relationship in your life right now that you want to work on. Um, a relationship that needs to be improved, maybe a relationship that needs some healing and restoration. And as we work through these principles, think about how this applies to that particular person. So are you ready? Here we go. We're going to talk about six ways to build authentic relationships. And the first is this, and this is on your outline, be honest. Be honest. I heard a story one time about this police officer that pulled over this man, and he walks up to the window and says, Sir... Um, you were driving 80 miles an hour, and this is a 70-mile-an-hour zone, and I'm going to have to give you a ticket. And the man objects, and he says, well, wait a minute. Um, I was only going 65 miles an hour, I know, because I had my cruise control on, so something must be wrong with your radar gun. And his wife, who's sitting next to him, says, oh, honey, tell the truth. You never, ever use your cruise control. The guy gives his wife a really angry look, and then the uh, police officer walks to the back of the car, walks back up, and says, Sir, I'm going to have to cite you for that broken taillight. And the guy says, Well, I didn't even know I had a broken taillight. And his wife says, Oh, honey, tell the truth. I told you two weeks ago you had that broken headlight, <laughs> taillight. <laughs> and uh, then the officer looks at him again and says, Look, I see you're not wearing your seatbelt. I'm going to have to give you even another ticket for not wearing your seatbelt. And... The guy objects again, and he says, look, when I saw you walking up to the car, I took off my seatbelt, and his wife says, oh, tell the officer the truth. You never, ever wear your seatbelt. And about this time, the guy has had it, and he turns to his wife, and he shouts, would you just shut your mouth? And the officer looks at this woman and says, um, ma'am, does he always talk to you like that? She says, no, officer, um, only when he's been drinking. In order to have relationships that are real, we need to be, what's the word? Honest. Honest. But there's a lot more to it than that, isn't there? Because when you read the Bible, it says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in a way that 
that helps people, not hurts them, in a way that builds people up, not tears people down. And we know this when it comes to our relationships, that the foundation for any relationship is trust. And you can't have trust unless you tell people the truth, unless you're honest. And we know that's true in marriages, it's true in the relationships we have with our friends, it's true between parents and children. If you want to trust somebody, you've got to be honest with them. You've got to tell them the truth. And so that is the first way to build authentic relationships, by being honest. And check out this verse. This is from Ephesians chapter 4, and it says this. No more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. So if you want to be honest in your relationships, it means that you have to actually tell people what's going on in your life. You have to be willing to be real about your faults and your failures and your fears. And when that happens, there's an amazing dynamic that develops. You find that you're able to ask people for help. You're able to ask people to, to pray for you. And church family, that's one of the things that we're trying to foster here in our church family. That on a Sunday morning when I say, hey, look, if you got a prayer request, write it down. When we're able to be honest about our lives, that enables us to reach out for help and to ask others to pray. So what's the first thing that we can do to develop authentic relationships? Be honest. Here's the next thing. Be humble. Be humble. There's a story about Muhammad Ali, the ex-heavyweight boxing champ, and he was on an airplane one time, and the airplane encountered some turbulence, so the captain comes on the PA and he says, um, ladies and gentlemen, um, we've hit some rough air, so please observe the uh, fasten your seatbelt sign until I give you further instructions. And the flight attendant is walking through the cabin and she sees Muhammad Ali is not doing what the captain asks because he doesn't have a seatbelt on, and she says, sir, you need to put on your seatbelt, and he says, Superman, don't need no seatbelt. And she looked at him and said, Superman don't need no airplane, now buckle up. <laughs> Check out this, this verse about humility. All of you, who does that include? Everybody on the plane, right? Everybody <laughs> on the planet. All of you address yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. And here is one of the most powerful verses in scripture, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, in order to receive God's grace, we have to admit that we need God's grace. And what stands in the way of that admission? It's pride. It's pride. Earlier this week, I was watching um, Sesame Street for a few minutes. Um, not by myself. My nine-month-old granddaughter was watching it with me. And uh, I love the characters on Sesame Street, and there's a really cool character called The Count. Do you guys know The Count? Right? And this is something The Count often says, I can do it alone. And I was thinking this week, you know, when we're prideful, that's really our attitude. I can do it alone. But God says, I don't want you to do it alone. I want you to do it connected to other people in authentic relationships. As I was working on the message this week, I thought about something that happened to me when I was in high school that had a really profound influence on the way that I saw relationships. Um, when I was 17, my mother died, and the reason she died is she literally drank herself to death. And I remember waking up on a Saturday morning, and she was dead on the couch. And 
I felt all of these really intense emotions as a teenager. I was sad, I was angry, I was confused, um, I felt abandoned. And I had this, this thought that nobody really understands what I'm going through. Um, nobody can, can help me. And so what I did, I decided to just kind of retreat. I was going to try to live life alone. And I remember at the time, I was um, really getting interested in music, and music for me was a, a big outlet. I could, you know, write songs or sing songs and just express my emotions. And there was a song that was really popular at that time by an artist named Paul Simon. And some of you may remember this song. It's called I Am a Rock. And I can remember just lying in bed at night, and I'd be playing this song, and the lyrics go, I touch no one, and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island, and a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. And I decided that's how I'm going to go through life. I'm going to be that rock. I'm, I'm going to be that island. But what I discovered is that the words to that song aren't true. Because you can pretend that there is no pain, but that pretense doesn't make the pain go away. And God, in his grace, helped me understand that he could use that pain to dismantle my pride and to bring me to a place of understanding that I really did need other people. And that's why that verse has such significance for me, because I believe this is true with all my heart. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And here's why that's so important in our relationships with each other, because when you stand under this waterfall of God's grace and allow it to fill up your heart, now you have grace to give to other people. And that is really the third thing that we can do to build authentic relationships. We can be gracious to other people. I want you to watch this, this brief video where people describe what it's like to receive God's grace. Let's take a look. I used to feel like I owed God something, that I could do something to pay what I owed him. But this is a picture of a paid bill by Jesus. And that's what grace means to me in my life, that there's nothing that I can do to pay that bill, but that Jesus already paid it by his death on the cross. For me, grace is, um, it's like rain. It, it washes away everything that was there before. It makes me feel like there's a chance that I have a new beginning. Grace for me is like this picture. My life was broken and I didn't know where to go. I was trying to do things on my own, trying to fix things. And then when I accepted that gift of grace, um, it was like the pieces of my life and my heart got put together. And I discovered who I was, and I discovered that I am loved. To me, it's a happy family. And that's my picture of grace, because God took my family when it was completely broken, and I thought it couldn't be fixed. And he restored my marriage and my family, and with him is the foundation of it all, so now it's strong. The grace has made me a people person. I have spent years as a, essentially a loner, uh, even in a crowd. I was essentially by myself. But grace has given me an, an opportunity to be a part of a community. The whole grace thing is amazing because you don't have to earn it because it's just love. God has given me a new heart from this darkness to this bright red that's pumping and beating and it's alive and it's amazing, amazing grace.
God's grace really is amazing. And because God has been gracious to us, he wants us to be gracious to each other. And that's the thing that we can do to develop authentic relationships. Be gracious. Check out this verse from Colossians chapter 3. It says this, You must make allowances for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, forgiving others is an act of grace. Why? Because grace is getting what you don't deserve. Let me ask you this. Do you deserve God's forgiveness? No, and neither do I. It's a free gift. It's an act of grace. And this is true in our relationships with others. Being gracious means that we give people what they don't deserve, our forgiveness. Now, let me say this. Forgiving someone doesn't mean you automatically trust them because trust has to be rebuilt over time. It doesn't mean that people aren't responsible for their actions because they are. But forgiveness does mean that you choose not to get even. You choose not to hurt that person the way they've hurt you. You choose to work through your feelings so you don't become a bitter, angry, resentful person. And if there's one place that that should happen, it's right here in God's family. Because the church is meant by God to be a grace place. So are you ready for a quick review? All right, here's three ways, and we're going to talk about three more. Three ways to build relationships that are real. The first is be what? Be honest. What's number two? Humble. And what's the third? Be gracious. And here is number four. Be considerate. Be considerate. Check out this verse from Romans 15. It says, we must bear the burden. Now, let me stop right there. Would you say that bearing a burden is easy or hard? Yeah, obviously. It's hard. It takes some effort. So what follows is going to take some effort. We must bear the burden of being and here's the key word, considerate of the doubts and fears of others. The doubts and fears of others. Have you ever had doubts about a decision that you made? Thank you, Tim. Yeah, you, I, oh man, um, I never should have posted that online. I never should have shared that with my boss. I never should have started that diet. I mean, it's just a list of things, right? What about this? Have you ever had doubts about God? Ever doubted that God loved you, that God heard your prayers, that God was going to be able to get you through a really difficult time in your life? I mean, we all have doubts, and we all have fears. Now think about what, what you're afraid of today, because there are so many things we might fear. You know, sometimes we have these financial fears. I'm just not going to make it financially. Sometimes we have fears about relationships. My marriage isn't doing well. I don't think it's going to make it. I don't think I'm going to make it. Fears about our kids or our grandkids or our jobs, all kinds of fears. Here's a very common fear right now, our health. How many of you have heard about the coronavirus? Okay, I should probably ask it this way. Who hasn't heard about the coronavirus, right? And when you think about it, there are all kinds of doubts and fears that go along with what's happening in the news because this is around the world right now. And you've got people over here. They're over on this um, side of the continuum, and they are terrified. There is no doubt going to be a, a global pandemic, and the government can't do anything to stop it, and I'm going to get sick, and I'm going to die, and so are you. <laughs> okay, so these are the people over here. Now, on the other extreme, you've got people that are saying, virus? What virus? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, there's a virus. Hey, no worries. Just wash your hands. Everything will be fine. And then you've got everybody in between. Now, here's... here's a great application of this verse. When you're talking to somebody about an issue like the coronavirus, it says you should be considerate of the doubts and fears of others. 
Now, why is that important? Because we don't always share the same doubts and fears. See, often, you know, you might think, well, my fear is completely reasonable, but your fear is kind of stupid. <laughs> right? And so we have to take a step back and go, whoa, 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 I can't, I can't, I shouldn't think that way, and I certainly shouldn't say that. But here's the reality. If you're going to have a healthy church community, people have to feel the freedom to share their doubts and fears without being judged. And that takes honesty, and that takes humility, and that takes grace, and it takes being considerate. And that's really important. And this leads us to the next thing that's so important. Be sympathetic. Be sympathetic. And this is what the scripture says. Finally, and again, all of you, everybody without exception, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Now, what is sympathy? Well, it's when you feel compassion towards someone because of what they're going through. How many of you have ever received a sympathy card? Okay. Um, how many of you have ever sent a sympathy card? Great. Now, we know that's the purpose of a card, to say, hey, I care about you, you know, I want to encourage you and support you. I actually found some um, sympathy cards that I thought were rather funny, so let me see if you think they're funny too. All right, let's try. I'll know in a minute. <laughs> Here's one. It said this on the front. There are no words, but there is ice cream I'm here for you if you need someone to eat your feelings with. All right? Now, here's, I'm just going to share two. This is another one. And, you know, for some of you, you may not connect with this at all, but if you're the parent of a small child or know the parent of a small child or a grandparent of small grandchildren, you'll get this. Are you ready? Sympathy card. I wish I could take your pain and give it to the person who wrote Baby Shark. I totally would. It's one of those songs you just can't get out of your head. Anyway, if you, if you decide, you know, I want to be this sympathetic person, I want to understand what this other person is going through, then you need to do what? What part of your body do you need to employ? Your ears. You need to listen. You need to listen with your head and you need to listen with your heart because, again, this is something that often happens. And, and guys, I think this is more characteristic of men than women, but it goes both ways. You're listening to somebody, and initially, man, you're doing a great job of showing sympathy. You're going, oh, man, I'm so sorry, and wow, that must be hard. And then you hear a certain amount, and you decide, I know what to do. I can fix this. I can fix you. You just need to listen to me. And so we go from being sympathetic to being the fixer. And see, that's not what people need. I mean, there is a time when you need to help people, you know, walk through what's next. But initially, we need to just take a step back and listen and try to understand. And that brings us to this last way to build real relationships. Be committed. Be committed. And look at this verse from the book of Acts. They, this is talking about first century Christians, they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Now here's a really important principle. Your life is profoundly shaped by the commitments that you make and keep. You realize that, that your life and my life are profoundly shaped by the commitments that we make, the commitments that we keep. keep. Now, let me give you a, um, a brief working definition of commitment. Commitment is a decision to pursue a course of action despite all obstacles. And think about this. We make all kinds of commitments. How many of you have ever made a commitment to exercise? Okay, and after three or four days, you kind of lose the commitment. Or some of you keep going with the commitment, right? 
Um, how many of you ever made a um, commitment to go to work? You get up on Monday morning, go to work. Um, a commitment to um, go on a diet. Um, a commitment to read a book. A commitment on a sports team. There's all these commitments that we make. But here's the thing. Commitments not only shape our lives. Commitments shape, in particular, the relationships we have in our life. Now, here at our church, we have this seminar. It's called our Discoverers Seminar, and it's about membership. And in that class, there's a foundational principle, and it's this, that a strong, healthy church is built on commitment. And we talk about three commitments. A commitment to follow Jesus, a commitment to live in community by sharing your life with other believers in your church family, and a commitment to reach out to others with compassion. Now, all of those commitments are relational. And in regard to that, that second commitment, this idea that, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus, he wants you to share your life with other believers, think about the definition of commitment. It's a decision to pursue a course of action despite all obstacles. Now, what's one of the biggest obstacles to sharing your life with other believers? It's time. It's time. And as we began this 40-day adventure, I was so thankful for everybody who decided I want to be in a small group I want to make the choice to spend my time with other believers I was uh, driving home from our small group on Tuesday night and I was just talking to Jesus and I said you know Lord thank you for for this group of people because we were laughing together and learning together and sharing our problems together and praying for each other and I thought you know that's kind of a snapshot of the way it's supposed to be and what a privilege it is to share that experience with others who have decided to follow Jesus. Now, here's, here's what I want to tell you. I think it's really, really critically important to be involved with other believers. But a lot of people are still disconnected. And when I talk to people about how important that is, this is the typical response that I get. Yeah, Pastor Dudley, I get it, that's really important, but I just don't have the, the time. And you know, I've been through a lot of different chapters in my life, and sometimes I have more or less time. But it's always, always the same number of hours, isn't it? Just our perception of how much time we have. Because listen, you get 24 hours a day instead of 168 hours a week. I could go on and on. But here's the thing. We make choices about how we will use the time that God has given us. And listen, a lot of the things that you're doing are good, and a lot of the things you're doing I know are important. But here's the question. If you're not connected with other believers, what would your response be to this question? Are all of those things more important than connecting with other people in your church family? Now, last week we talked about the first door, the door to a new you that God wants to transform our hearts and make us the person he created us to be. One of the most powerful ways God does that is in our relationships with each other because you need more than the truth. You need relationships where you can apply that truth. We have to learn to love each other and forgive each other and encourage one another and pray for each other. That happens when you share your life with other believers. And so I want you to know it's not too late to sign up for a small group. You can do that in the lobby after the service. You can do it online because, church, here's the reality. God never intended for you or for me to walk through life alone. In fact, you can't accomplish God's purpose for your life alone. And the Bible says it's not good for us to be alone. And I'll tell you what, I know that through personal experience. And I'm really delighted that 
the message is coming on a communion Sunday because communion is such a beautiful picture of what we're talking about. And just to illustrate that, could I get about, I don't know, 10 or 12 people just to come up here? You don't have to say anything. Just join me up front. I'm going to do a little object lesson, okay? All right, we're just going to make a circle around the table here. All right, there you go. Don't be shy. Here we go. All right. Just need a few more people. We've got to at least have a circle all the way around the table. There you go. Good deal. And, and all the way around the table, okay? Just right around the table. Good, good. Okay, now think about this. We talked about the three commitments. The first is a commitment to Jesus, right? So let the table symbolize the presence of Christ. So what are we doing right now? We're all looking at Jesus because he is the center of our lives. But notice this. There's another commitment to each other, right? So you can do this. Um, if you're not a germaphobe, you can go ahead and hold hands. We want to be considerate of the doubts and fears of others. Okay, that's good. I was going to say you could, you know, put your hand on somebody's shoulder or elbow. But here's the thing. This is a picture of what God wants for us. Because think about it. We're connected to Jesus and we're connected to each other. And that's what happens every time we share a communion together. But you know what? In just a few minutes, communion will be over. And we'll be heading out those doors. So I want you to do this. Let go of each other's hands and turn around 180 degrees. Okay? Just turn around. Because when we leave this place, we're going to go out there, right, into the world. In fact, take one step forward. Just one step. You know what that is? That's the church on the move. Right there. And think about this. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Well, if you're going to be salt, you've got to get out of the salt shaker. And that's what God has called us to do. This is how God's called us to live. Can we thank our volunteers? Good job. And church, I, I'm so thankful because, you know, communion really is a celebration of commitment. And I want you to think about this. Think about how committed Jesus is to you. I mean, that's a radical commitment. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus loves you like nobody else. And he would rather die than live without you. And his love is powerful. And his love pursues you. His love perfects you. His love is patient with you. And here's what Jesus tells us. Hey, I want you to love each other the way that I've loved you. And here's our, our BBCC verse of the week. Take a look at this. It says this. Most of all, let love guide your life. For then the whole church will stay together in perfect harmony, which is exactly what God wants. So church, let me read these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where a follower of Jesus, a man named Paul, recounts what happens the night before Jesus goes to the cross. And this is what he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, just like we're doing now, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And then Paul adds this section. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. You ought to examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord 
eats and drinks judgment on himself. And Paul, again, is talking about the fact that we need to understand the good news about Jesus. Communion is an opportunity for us to say, you know, um, how am I doing in terms of my commitment to Jesus and my commitment to my church family? Because what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, a Christian is somebody who has understood the bad news that we're all sinners. Every single one of us, and our sin separates us from God because he's holy. And because God's just, he has to punish our sin, and that punishment is to die and be separated from him forever. And the bad news really gets even worse because there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, and so God has to intervene. And that's the great news of the gospel, that God sends Jesus to our world. He lives a perfect life. He dies on a cross. And on that cross, God's willing to put our sins on Jesus and punish him in our place. He dies the death we deserve. He comes back to life, and he says, hey, hey, you don't have to live alone. I came so that your relationship with the Father could be restored. I came so that our relationship could be restored, so that you could have a family where you could have some relationships that are real. That's the dream that God continues to work on, and this is evidence of that dream. And so when we look at our hearts, we have to say, you know, do I understand the gospel? Have I decided to follow Jesus? And is there anything that's, that's getting in the way? Because communion is always an opportunity to, to get right with God to confess, to say, Lord, forgive me. I want to be close to you. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you to do this. Would you just bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Father, thank you um, for this incredible opportunity that we have um, to come and, and celebrate the incredible love of Jesus for us. And Lord, today I pray that for those who are Christians, those who have made a decision to follow Jesus, that you would help us, God, to take a look at our heart. And God, if there's anything, anything at all that we need to deal with, any, anything that's an obstacle in us being close to you, would you do this, God? Would you point that out so that we can confess it and find your forgiveness? And Father, I pray too for the person who maybe for the first time is understanding, hey, you know, I've, I've heard all this stuff about Jesus loving me and dying for me, but I've never decided to surrender my life to him. If that's you and you sense God calling you to, to step across that line of faith, then you can just tell God this in your own words. God, I, I need you. Thanks for, for loving me. Thank you that I don't have to live alone. And I don't want to anymore. I want to trust Jesus. I believe that he's your son. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he came back to life. And so I just want to, I want to follow him wherever he leads me. God, when we pray that prayer, an amazing, amazing adventure begins. And Lord, I pray this, whatever we're going through right now, I pray that we would have that sense of adventure, that sense of excitement, that sense of joy that comes from following Jesus. Because God, we have no idea what's around the corner, but you do. And I pray for those who are going through a tough time right now. Lord, would you please, please help them to get their heads up, to get their eyes on Jesus this morning. And Lord, as we um, celebrate your incredible love, I pray that it would be a time where you pour your grace into our hearts and that grace overflows into the lives of each other. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask you to